0: Chapter Eight of Snowdrift A Story of the Land of the Strong Cold by James B. Hendricks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Snowdrift by James B. Hendricks. Chapter Eight The Plotting of Camillo Bill. With the rapidly lengthening days, the sodden snow thawed and was carried away by the creeks which were running waist-deep on top of the ice. New snow fell, lay dazzling white for a day or two, and then under the ever-increasing heat of the sun it too turned sodden and sullen and gray and added its water to the ever-increasing torrent of the creeks bare patches of ground showed upon south slopes the ice in the creeks let go and was borne down by the torrents and grinding jamming flows then the big river broke up wild geese and ducks appeared heading northward wild flowers in a riot of blazing color followed up the mountain sides upon the heels of the retreating snow banks and with bewildering swiftness The Yukon country leaped from winter into summer. From his little cabin, Carter Brent noted the kaleidoscopic change of seasons and promised himself that as soon as the creeks receded into their normal beds, he would hit the gold trail. He ate little, drank much, and spent most of his days in reading from some books left him by a wandering Englishman who had come in overland from the northwest territories where for a year or more he had prowled aimlessly among the hudson's bay posts and the outposts of the mounted. the books were for the most part government reports geological and geodetical upon the canadian north she said i am a bum he muttered to himself one evening as he laid aside his book and in the gathering darkness walked to the door and watched the last play of sunlight upon the distant glittering peaks. But I'll show her, I'll show her where I'll go from here. I'm as good a man as I ever was." This statement that he had at first made to others he now found necessary to make to himself. A dozen times a day he would solemnly assure himself that he was as good a man as he ever was and that when he got ready to hit the trail he would show them the sunlight faded from the peaks and as he turned from the doorway his eyes fell upon his pack straps that hung from their peg on the wall reaching for his hat he stepped to the door and peered out to make sure that no one was watching then he stooped and fixed his straps to a half sack of flour which he judged would weigh about fifty pounds After some difficulty, he got the pack onto his back and started for the bank of the river, a quarter of a mile away. A hundred yards from the cabin, he stopped for breath. His shoulders ached, and the muscles of his neck felt as though they were being torn from their moorings as he pushed his forehead against the tump line. With the sweat starting from every pore, he essayed a few more steps, stumbled, AND IN CLUMSILY CATCHING HIS BALANCE, HIS HAT FELL OFF. AS HE STOOPED TO RECOVER IT, THE WEIGHT OF THE PACK FORCED HIM DOWN AND DOWN UNTIL HE WAS FLAT ON HIS BELLY WITH HIS FACE IN THE MUD. FOR A LONG TIME HE LAY, PANTING, UNTIL THE NIGHT BREEZE CHILLED THE SWEAT ON HIS SKIN AND HE SHIVERED. THEN HE STRUGGLED TO RISE, GAINED HIS HANDS AND KNEES, AND COULD GET NO FARTHER. Again and again he tried to rise to his feet, but the weight of the pack held him down. He remembered that between the Chilkoot and Lake Linderman he had risen out of the mud with a hundred pounds on his shoulders, and thought nothing of it. He wriggled from the straps, and carrying and resting, staggered back to his cabin and sank into a chair. He took a big drink and felt better it's the fever he assured himself it left me weak i'll be all right in a day or so i'm as good a man as i ever was only a little out of practice after that brent stayed closer than ever to his cabin until the day came when there was not enough dust left in his little buckskin sack to pay for a quart of hooch he bought a pint and as he drank it in his cabin decided he must go to work until he got strong enough to hit the trail. Houses were going up everywhere, houses of boards that were taking the place of the tents and the cabins of the previous year. Work there was plenty, and the laborers were few. Chichacos were pouring in by the thousands and staking clear to the mountain tops, but none of them could work. Crazed by the lore of gold, they pitted the hillsides and valleys and mucked like gnomes in their wild scramble for riches. Brent worked for a week in a sawmill and then quit, bought some hooch and some necessary food, and retired to his cabin to re-read his reports and laugh at the efforts of the hillside miners. The old-timers were scattered out in the hills and the Tin Horns and Chachacos who had worshipped at his shrine were dispersed, or had forgotten him. Life moved swiftly in the big camp. Yesterday's hero would be forgotten tomorrow, and the name of Ace in the Hole meant nothing to the newcomers. Occasionally he met one of the old-timers who would buy him a drink and hurry on about his business. Spasmodically, Brent worked at odd jobs. He fired a river steamboat on a round trip to Fort Gibbon. Always he promised himself pretty soon, now, he would be ready to hit the trail. Stampedes were of almost daily occurrence, but Brent was never in on them and so the summer wore on and still he had not hit the trail. "'I'll just wait now for snow.' he decided late in august then i'll get a good dog team together and make a real rush there's no use hitting out with a polling boat the creeks are all staked and backpacking is too hard work for a white man i'm as good a man as i ever was and when the snow comes i'll show them brent's wardrobe was depleted until it consisted of a coarse blue jumper and ragged overalls drawn over the underclothing, laced and tied together in a dozen places. He had not shaved for a month. Later, in October, Camillo Bill came to his cabin. He stood in the doorway and stared into the dirty interior where Brent, with the unwashed dishes of his last meal shoved back, sat reading. "'Hello, Camillo!' greeted the owner of the cabin as he rose to his feet and extended his hand come in and sit down camillo bill settled himself into a chair well i'll be damned he exclaimed under his breath brent rinsed a couple of murky glasses in the water pail and reached for a bottle that sat among the dirty dishes have a drink he invited extending a glass to his visitor Camillo Bill poured a taste of liquor into the glass and watched Brent, with shaking hand, slop out a half a tumblerful and drink it down as one would drink water. He swallowed the liquor and returned the glass to the table. "'Take some more,' urged Brent. "'I've got another quart under the bunk.' "'No, thanks,' refused the other, curtly. "'I heard you was down and out, but—' My God, I wasn't lookin' for this." "'What's the matter?' asked Brent, flushing beneath his stubby beard. "'What do you mean?' Righteous indignation blazed from Camillo Bill's eyes. "'Mean? You know damn well what I mean,' he thundered. Look around this shack. Look in the lookin' glass up there. You're livin' here worse'n a dog lives. You're worse'n a, a squaw man." Brent rose to his feet and drew himself proudly erect. Ragged and unshaven as he was, the effect was ludicrous, but Camilla Bill saw nothing of humor as he stared at the wreck of his friend. Brent spoke slowly, measuring his words. No, man, not even you can insult me and get away with it. I'm as good a man as I ever was, and I'll prove it if you'll step outside. You couldn't prove nothin' to nobody, no way. Kitty told me you'd gone to hell, but I didn't know you'd gone on plumb through. Brent sank weakly into his chair and began to whimper. I'm as good a man as I ever was, he sniveled. Shut up. Camillo Bill's fist struck the table. It makes me mad to look at you. You're a hell of a lookin' object. You won't winter through. They'll find you froze some mornin' ways between here and some saloon. I won't be here when winter comes. I'm going to hit the trail when snow flies with a dog outfit. Where do you aim to go? Over beyond the Mackenzie. OVER IN THE COPPERMINE RIVER COUNTRY. THERE'S GOLD OVER THERE, AND THERE AREN'T A MILLION Chichacos GOUGING FOR IT. CAMILLO BILL ROARED WITH LAUGHTER. OVER BEYOND THE Mackenzie, PICKED YOU OUT THE ROUGHEST AND THE furthest PLACE TO GO THERE IS. AND NOTHING THERE WHEN YOU GET THERE. ONLY YOU'D NEVER GET THERE. YOU AIN'T GOT THE STRENGTH NOR THE GUTS TO CROSS INDIAN RIVER let alone the Mackenzie. And besides, where do you aim to get your outfit?" "'I'll work in the sawmill till I get enough, or anyone will grubstake me. You will.' "'I will, like hell. And no one else won't, neither. You'd never buy nothin' but hooch if they did.' A gleam of hope flashed into Brent's eyes. "'Say,' he asked. HOW ABOUT MY CLAIMS? YOU MUST HAVE TAKEN OUT YOUR MILLION BY THIS TIME." Camillo Bill smiled and his eyes never wavered as they met Brent's gaze. PETER'D PLUM OUT, HE SAID. THAT'S WHAT I COME TO TELL YOU ABOUT. THEY AIN'T AN ounce LEFT IN em DID YOU GET YOURS? ASKED Brent dully. IF YOU DIDN'T, JUST LET ME KNOW HOW MUCH YOU'RE SHY AND I'LL MAKE IT GOOD, WHEN I MAKE MY STRIKE OVER BEYOND THE Mackenzie. THIS TIME THE OTHER DID NOT LAUGH. HIS FISTS CLENCHED, AND HE MUTTERED UNDER HIS BREATH, ALL GONE TO HELL, PUFFED AND BLOATED AND ROTTEN WITH HOOCH, AND STILL SQUARE AS A BRICK SCHOOLHOUSE. FOR A LONG TIME HE SAT SILENT, STARING AT THE FLOOR. Brent poured himself another drink. "'How much are you shy?' he repeated. The words roused Camillo Bill from a brown study. "'Huh?' he asked. "'I said, how much are you shy of that million?' "'Oh, I don't know yet. I ain't cleaned up the tailin' of the dump. It ain't goin' to be far off, though. I'll let you know later.' he got up and crossed to the door. "'So long,' he said, and without waiting for Brent's adieu, struck out at a fast walk for Stowell's, where he found old Bettles and Swiftwater Bill drinking at the bar with Moosehide Charlie, who was telling of a fresh strike on a nameless creek to the westward. Camillo Bill motioned the three to a small table, and when they were seated he ordered the drinks. "'We got a job to do,' he announced, plunging straight into his subject. "'And we got to do it through.' "'Meaning which?' asked Bettles. "Meanin' to kidnap a man and hide him out for a year and make him work like hell every minute he ain't sleepin' or eatin.' "'That sounds like a hell of a contract,' opined Swiftwater Bill. "'Who's gonna keep him workin?' "'And what at, and what for?' "'For the good of his soul,' grinned Camillo. "'The spark of a man's there yet, and a damn good man. But if we all don't get down and blow like hell, the spark's going out.' "'Clear as mulligan,' grinned Moosehide Charlie. Camillo Bill looked into the faces of his companions. "'Anyone saw Ace in the Hole lately?' he asked. Bettles shook his head, and Swiftwater Bill spoke up. "'I seen him about a month ago. Bought him a drink. He's on the toboggan.' Moosehide Charlie broke in. "'I ain't seen him since spring when he saved me from getting doped and Cutter Malone's. Cutter floored him with a bottle.' and Kitty and I got him home and she looked after him until he got better. I gave her a sack of dust to give him, but he wouldn't take it. Throwed it out in the snow, and Kitty dug it out and brung it back. If you all is figurin' on gettin' up a stake for him, let me in. I'll go as high as the next." Camillo Bill shook his head. "'Nothing doin' on the stake stuff. He wouldn't take it, and if he did it would be the worst thing we could do to him. He'd blow it all in for Hooch. I went over to his cabin just now to turn back his claims. I've took out my million and only worked one of them, and it ain't worked half out. There must be two or three million in em yet. Kitty told me the Hooch had got him right, but she didn't tell it strong enough. He's in a hell of a shape, and thinks he's as good a man as he ever was. He's dirty, and ragged, and bloated with hooch, and broke, and yet, by God, he's a man. When I seen how things was, I decided not to say anything about the claims, because if he got hold of em now, he'd blow em in as fast as he could get out the dust. But after a while he asked me, and I told him they'd petered out. He never batted an eye, but he says, "'Did you get out your million? "'Cause,' he says, "'if you didn't, just tell me how much you're shy and I'll make it good.' He thinks he's going somewhere over beyond the Mackenzie when the snow comes. But hell, he ain't in no shape to go nowheres. What we got to do is just naturally steal him and put him in a cabin somewhere's way out in the hills and hire a couple of guards for him and keep him workin' for a whole damn year. It'll nearly kill him at first, but it'll put him back where he was if it don't kill him, and if it does, it's better to die workin' than to freeze to death drunk like McMahon did. I got the place to put him said Swiftwater. The claim's no good, but it's way to hell and gone from here, and there's a cabin on it. Just the ticket, agreed Camillo. we better send out quite a bunch of hooch, so we can kinda taper off, suggested Moosehide Charlie. Taper hell, cried Bettles. If you taper off, you taper on again. I know. The way to quit is to quit. "'We'll figure that out,' laughed Camillo. "'The best way is to ask the doc. I'll tend to that, and I'll get a guard hired, and see about grub and tools and stuff. We'll meet here a week from tonight and pull the deal off, and Swiftwater he can go along for guide, only you don't want to let him see you.' i'll get guards that he don't know and that don't know him we'll have to pay him pretty good but it's worth it old bettles nodded he was a damn good man once. and he'll be again exclaimed camillo if he lives through it his heart's right and so they parted little thinking that when they would gather for the carrying out of their scheme brent would have disappeared as completely as though the earth had swallowed him up end of chapter 8 recording by roger Moline.